Good morning. Today's scripture lesson is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, verses 26 and 27, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Tony Campolo, an American Baptist minister, began his ministerial calling, fulfilling that calling, in the Presbyterian Church. He was serving as an associate pastor in a rather large congregation, and one of his obligations was to conduct the early service, the 8 o'clock in the morning service, everything except the sermon. On one particular Saturday night, He stayed out later than, in his own words, later than a man of God should. And the next morning, he was not in great shape. And it came time for the 8 o'clock service. He was running late. He couldn't remember everything that he needed to do. He didn't have everything together. And the time came in the order of worship for the Lord's Prayer. They prayed the Lord's Prayer together like we do after the pastoral prayer on Sunday mornings. And he called himself a little late to be sure saying out loud, as we pray together, the prayer that our Lord taught us, now I lay me down to sleep. He said it was shortly after that that his tenure in the Presbyterian Church came to a close. His error has probably never been ours, but aren't there times when we pray the Lord's Prayer with our lips while our minds and our hearts are somewhere else, maybe even in a different time zone. And how many times have we placed our right hand over our heart and recited the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag all the time wondering what was for lunch and would the teacher call on me for that assignment that I was supposed to have read last night? And have we ever stood in worship to affirm our faith using the Apostles' Creed and sat back down unaware of what we had just repeated because we had been considering whether or not we would get home in time to see the opening segment of whatever ball game was on that Sunday. Now, I'm not fussing. I don't mean to sound trivial, but I do know that a lot of times we say things from rote. We've repeated them so often that we can say them with our lips and our hearts and our minds are a thousand miles away all too often. Maybe in the church we need to take more time to pause and consider what we're saying. 
and why we're saying it and where the words came from and what they mean and the difference they make in the lives of people and in our own lives. The Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer are two that come to mind. I know there are others. So for the next several weeks on Sunday mornings, I want us to be thinking about the Apostles' Creed and what it means and breaking it down into segments. What do we really mean when we stand together or when we recite this along with Vince or others in our own homes? I believe in. Now, as a brief aside, I need to ask the question, are beliefs important? And the only possible answer to that question in my way of thinking is yes, of course, beliefs are critically important. Right beliefs are a foundation for right living. Wrong beliefs lead to wrong living. Occasionally we hear somebody say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. No, 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 no. One of my favorite theological responses to that kind of statement is baloney. We know better than that. History from from way back until not so far back teaches us that beliefs impact actions and actions change our world for better or worse. John twenty thirty one, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believing is important. First Timothy four sixteen, watch your life and your doctrines closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Four questions that we might ask that will help us discern whether or not our beliefs are correct ones, whether or not we're on the right path with these things. Number one, are our beliefs founded on Scripture? Number two, are our beliefs confirmed by Christians across the ages? Number three, do our beliefs lead us closer to God? And number four, do our beliefs reveal Jesus the Christ as the one who came to make God known in this world? These are similar to John Wesley's quadrilateral uh, system that has been, been assigned to Wesley. He may not have said it exactly like this, but he said we examine our beliefs by looking at scripture, tradition, experience, and reason. What we believe is important. Now let's get back to the Apostles' Creed for just a little while. It's actually the old baptismal formula of the Roman church attested to by Hippolytus in almost its present form at the beginning of the third century. It soon spread beyond Rome and with minor alterations was widely used in the West but not in the East so much. In our ritual for the sacrament of holy baptism, And I so look forward to the time when we are regathered here and when we can baptize, especially our our little ones. But in that, the Apostles' Creed is employed in its ancient form as a question and answer kind of thing, a, a response between congregation and worship leader. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. It's a question and answer kind of thing, and the creed shapes what we believe. And in some orders of worship, in some traditions, the creed is spoken or recited immediately following the sermon as a response to the word. As the people stand and say, this is what 
we believe. It makes an important statement about who we are, and it sums up our major beliefs as Christian folks. So let's now turn to the first phrase of the creed, and as the weeks go by and and unfold, we'll look at others. But today I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe The creed is a corporate statement of beliefs, something we repeat together with other Christians, usually in a service of worship. In our present context, perhaps we repeat it at home with with family members or friends. But it's also an intensely personal statement of beliefs. I believe, not what my father and mother believed, not what my brothers and sisters believe, not what my friends or my enemies believe, But what I believe, I believe in God. And there's a difference in there in believing that something exists and believing in something. One of my favorite stories that I've told maybe too many times is about the young bride who put her arms around her husband. He was a bit older, strong, confident, outspoken kind of guy, just a a real leader. And she looked up at him and said, Darling, do you believe in me? And he looked at her and said, Yeah, of course, I believe that you exist. Not a good answer. Don't try that. Not an appropriate answer. Not what you wanted to hear. There's a difference. Two men talking and drinking coffee in a small town cafe on a Monday morning, and they had a habit of sort of dissecting what they had experienced in church the day before. And on this particular morning, one man asked his buddy, do you believe in infant baptism? And his friend said, well, yeah, of course I believe in infant baptism. I've seen it done. But there's a difference, isn't there, in seeing something done and believing in something. Not the same thing, are they? I think a majority of folk in this country, or so the polls would reveal over the last several decades, believe that there is a God. But what percentage of us believe in God? To believe that something exists is one thing, doesn't require a lot of effort, does it? But to believe in something is to invest our lives in it, our hearts in it, to trust, to believe in God to say is to say this is the foundation on which I will build my life, and nothing else will suffice. A few decades ago, may have been the late 60s, there was a notion going around, God is dead. And it was causing quite an outrage. I saw, I remember seeing bumper stickers that read, if your God is dead, try mine. My God is alive. Now, what Dr. Thomas J.J. Altizer, a college religious professor, meant when he started talking about this, when he declared God is dead, is that not that God had literally dropped dead from a, a heart attack or some other ailment, but that God was no longer a factor in the lives of so many people. And it was as if God had died. Now, if you had cornered one of these folks and and asked them at that time, do you believe that God exists? I think most of them would have said, yeah, I, I believe that. But if you had asked them, do you believe in God? Have you entrusted yourself to God? Heart, soul, body, mind, strength, all that you have, all that you are. Have you invested and trusted God? They might have said, well, no, no. What's the difference in believing only that God exists 
and the notion that God is dead. The psalmist writes in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Isn't one just as big a fool to say, yes, there's a God, but God holds no sway over my being, has nothing to do with my life. I believe in, the word in is crucial. I believe in God. Where'd God come from? How old is God? Childlike questions. But we still wonder about such things, don't we? Folks ask me those questions quite frequently. They're serious questions. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the same yesterday and today and forever. God has always been. God is. God will always be. How do we describe God? In John's gospel, Jesus is heard or overheard telling someone God is spirit. So how do we describe spirit? Let me tell a story. This is one of those little girl, little boy in Sunday school kind of stories. And there's probably a whole book or a library full of those stories somewhere. Some of them probably happened and are true. Others are not true stories, but maybe they're truth stories. I don't know about this one, but you, you may have heard it. The little girl in Sunday school who was busy coloring, drawing a really elaborate kind of picture. And the teacher said, well, what's that a picture of, darling? And she said, God. Teacher said, well, nobody knows what God looks like. And, of course, the little girl said, well, they will when I finish this picture. In his book, Your God is Too Small. And it's been out a while. I think most church libraries have copies of it. It's maybe in your own home. Maybe you've read it. A book called Your God is Too Small. And J.B. Phillips in that book talks about the different views that we have of God. Now remember, it was written a while ago. Some of the language may not be very inclusive or needs to be updated. But anyway, he said these are some of the views we have of God. Resident police officer, parental hangover, Grand old man or woman, meek and mild, absolute perfection, heavenly bosom, God in a box, managing director, second-hand God, perennial grievance, pale Galilean, and projected image. Phillips claims that all of these concepts of God are inadequate. And in the second half of the book, he talks about some adequate concepts of God. The biblical writers use different words and different expressions to try to capture God's nature. But perhaps the word that gives us most insight into God, according to J.B. Phillips, is the word Father. I believe in God the Father. Jesus addressed God as Father. J.B. Phillips in the book I mentioned says that the early conception of God is almost invariably tied to the child's conception of father in the home as they were growing up. Now, if the child's lucky enough to have a good father, it's all to the good. Provided, of course, that the child knows this conception of God grows with the rest of the personality. But if the child is afraid... Or worse still, afraid and feeling guilty because he or she is afraid of their own father. The chances are that father in heaven will appear to be a fearful being. Some of you may wrestle with that. Again, if the child is lucky, Philip says, he'll outgrow this 
conception indeed will differentiate between those early fearful ideas of God and a later more mature conception of of who God is. How do or how did our own parents influence our perception of God? I believe in God, the Father Almighty. God Almighty is an English translation of the Hebrew phrase that literally means El Shaddai, God of the mountains. Consider the mountains rising above all else on the face of the earth, enduring for eons and eons, rock solid in their structure, magnificent in their beauty, consistent in their grandeur. Consider the power of God above all other gods, enduring forever. Magnificent in splendor, consistent and acting on behalf of God's children for their own good. Wanting the best for all of us. Almighty, among other things, means eternal. And eternal is a significant dimension of the deity. St. Thomas Aquinas, who was a philosopher and a theologian, wrote during the 1200s that nothing but God can be eternal. I mean, we talk a lot, don't we, in our day-to-day conversations about something being temporary or something being permanent. A lot of things that we call permanent are not permanent at all. Only God is eternal. What portions of our lives are built on those things that one day will crumble and, and dry up and blow away like dust in the wind of the four corners of the earth? Why aren't our whole lives built on that which alone is eternal? Before me no God was formed, says the Lord, nor shall there be any after me. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. The opening verse of our scripture for for today, of the scriptures in their totality, verse 1, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And Thomas Aquinas, we, we mentioned in just a moment ago, goes on to say that everything that in any way is, is from God. And on, on another occasion, he wrote that only God can create. There are no lesser gods that can create. There are no forces that can create. Only God can create. And it is sufficiently apparent at first glance, according to what has preceded, that to be creative is the action of God alone. We creature types sometimes believe, sometimes act in our arrogance as if we brought this world into being on our own, as if we're in charge and we're in control and we've got it spinning and rotating. Do you remember what what God said to Job that, Amazing story of Job in the Old Testament. Toward the end, God says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding, Job, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone, Job? Don't you know? When the morning stars sang together and all the children of God shouted for joy. Creation is, not just was. God created and God continues to create and to recreate. And the miracle of recreation, especially in a human heart, is the greatest miracle of all, I do believe. 
I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Believe in, that's the key. Even when we don't feel very spiritual about it. Even when we're not sure and doubt threatens to overwhelm us. Even when everything is going badly and there does not appear to be a check mark by God's name in the roll book. Even in those times. God, the creator God, is present. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from another Old Testament story that you may recognize, said something remarkable to King Nebuchadnezzar just before they were tossed in the fiery furnace. They said, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not bow down. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Believe in God. Perhaps the prophet Habakkuk speaks for all of us when he says this. And think of these words in terms of our world's situation at this very moment. Habakkuk said, though the fig trees do not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And to be honest with you, I was going to stop right here. But I need to say another word or two. It's been heavy on my heart and on my mind, as I'm sure it has yours. All that's been going on in our nation for the past week, 10 days or so. And I started thinking again about this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, creator of us all. I had a Baptist pastor friend, colleague, several years ago. We were serving in the same small town in Eastern George, over near Augusta. And we were talking about race relationships in that town at that time and, and around the country. And he said, some of my people, he said, some of their attitudes just frighten me. He said, but I'm always having to remind them that God did not make any junk. And the more I've thought about that, the more it's led to a time of confession in my own life. I remember as a child and a teenager some of the horrible jokes that I told and that I laughed at that put other folk down. How could I have done that? And I remember things I've said and done over the years. And I can only imagine the hurt that I've brought to others, not only by what I've said, but by what I've not said. And so this is a time that, for me, I've got to find my voice. I've got to repent of some things. I've got to realize every time I look at another human being that God don't make no junk. That some of those things and some of those people that I have looked at almost as trash over the years are not that at all. But treasures in the eyes of God. I pray that we'll have times to talk about this together and pray about this. Pray for me, and I'll pray for you. And together we will pray for our land, that all of us will come to the realization that God don't make no junk. And there's some things we've got to say and do.
to take care of the pain that so many of us have caused. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and every person on this planet. Amen.